It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's To the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's the Qinator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to talk about how the Jets did this offseason. Always good to get some opinions from people who follow the team very, very closely. And in fact, in a lot of cases, get paid to follow the team very, very closely. And so, when I got one of my favorite beat writers covering the Jets for NorthJersey.com, Mr. Andy Vasquez. Andy, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me, man. Hope you're staying safe and sane in these strange days. Trying to stay as safe and sane as I can, but you know how it is with this team on top of everything that's going on. It's usually not a lot of sanity involved, but I will say, Andy, the last time we talked, we were both hoping that the Jets would have a good offseason, but we weren't exactly sure what to expect. Now we know what the bulk of their transactions have led to, and we're talking about the draft, we're talking about free agency, and so we know more or less what the roster is going to look like within reason. There's going to be some moves here and there, but the core of the roster seems to be in place. Let's start with the draft. What did you think about the Jets picking Mekhi Becton at number 11? Well, I don't think it was a slam dunk. I, I think they had options there. They had a tough choice there, especially given that they lost Robbie Anderson in free agency and they need they needed I think to give Sam Donald more weapons than they did, but it's hard to argue with what they did because when you looked at Donald last year and the way he was running around and the way he looked more uncomfortable at the end of the season in the pocket than he did at any point really as a rookie, for them to focus on the offensive line and get a guy like Makai Beckton who has the potential to not only contribute right away as a rookie but be that guy for Donald on the left side for, you know, the next decade. I think they made the right choice, and it's going to be exciting to see uh, what he does and, and how he develops. And then the second round, they made the curious decision to trade down. A lot of people were yelling for Denzel Mims at number 48, and then sure enough, he fell to number 59. What did you think of Joe Douglas taking that gamble of trading down? And then were you expecting Denzel Mims to be there at 59? Because I certainly wasn't. Yeah, I think they were, I can't remember where they were before that. I think it was 48. Yeah, I think it was 48 to 59. And I didn't expect him to be there at 48. So the fact that he was still there at 59, you know, Joe Douglas is obviously better at this than I am. Um, and he made a good move, got what he needed. Uh, I don't think it solves the immediate problem that they're going to have. You, I don't think you can ask Denzel Mims to, you know, be a huge contributor this year, but he he has the obviously the size and the speed to to make an impact. And yeah, it was it was that something they needed. 
they got great value there, and now it's their job to make sure that he maximizes that potential. But you, you can't ask really anything more out of Joe Douglas there. He got them what they needed, which was more draft capital and a wide receiver. So it, it was a nice job by him. And then the rest of the draft played out interestingly. They made a deal with the Patriots. They drafted a quarterback in the fourth round, which I think a lot of people didn't see coming. Then they traded one of their draft picks to the Colts for Quincy Wilson. They got a punter. So a lot going on the rest of the way. What did you think overall of the Jets draft class? I think it's hard to argue with pretty much anything other than going with a quarterback there in the fourth round. Uh, they had so many other needs. They could have easily drafted a second wide receiver. And there were guys on the board uh, who could contribute right away. I think a little, maybe, you know, not with the feeling that, that Mims has, but guys who had the capability to help them right away. And, and a backup quarterback or a guy who could potentially develop into a backup quarterback isn't, um, you know, priority there in my eyes. But that's, I think, you're nitpicking when you go with that. I have no problem with a punter uh, at that stage in the draft, especially you're getting one of the best punters in college there, um, a guy who's probably going to be there, I mean, almost certainly going to be their starter this year. So um, I, I think they did a lot of things that you have to like. They, they filled the quarterback need. I mean, the cornerback need with, with um, you know, a guy who can come up and, and contribute probably right away. And, and Hall, uh, you know, he was a guy out of Virginia who uh, fell in the draft because of the injury stuff and, and was a guy who a lot, some people saw as a second-round potentially guy. So um, for them to get that need filled and for them to basically – I like the Ashton Davis thing because I think he's a guy who can play alongside uh, Marcus May and Joe Adams in 367 and really might be able to – let Jamal be more unlocked at the line of scrimmage um, and, and the role we saw last year in which he was so successful. So I, I like a lot of the stuff they did in this draft. Um, the quarterback thing in the fourth round would, would be the only thing that I would kind of take issue with. That's nitpicking. Overall, it's a, it's a good first draft for Joe Douglas. Of course, get back to me in three years and we'll, and we'll you know, talk about if it really was a good draft. <laughs> That's always the trick But it did seem at least like Joe Douglas had command of the process In a way that we didn't see much From a couple of his predecessors Not just Mike McCagnan But also John Idzik And Mike Tenenbaum Post Eric Mangini It just felt like he really knew How the board was going to break And was prepared Whereas a lot of times you'd see Mike McCagnan Make these moves Maybe get a little too cute and then sort of panic and take a guy that didn't make a lot of sense. John Idzik, we could talk about the Idzik 12. And then Mike Tannenbaum, a big part of the reason why this roster fell apart over the course of a bunch of years is because the core that was built up when Mangini was here and before that when Parcells was here and Herm Edwards and all that crumbled and they never really properly replaced those guys in the draft, it at least felt like Joe Douglas had a better feel for the process than those guys, didn't it? Yeah, and I, and I want again. I want to say this with, you know, obviously the caveat that we're, we're going to find out how good it was, but he seemed really up to the moment, really comfortable making deals that made sense and deals that, like, clearly in terms of draft chart value, the Jets won those those deals. Um, 
in terms of getting back the kind of value that you want to get. Like, how often do you see the Jets you know, win a trade with the Patriots and really kind of end up winning two trades? Because I think they traded one of the picks they got back was the pick that they traded for uh, Demarius Thomas earlier uh, season. So, so that's one thing they, they kind of got one over on Belichick a little bit. I mean, we'll see. But um, and you got to give them credit because this was not a normal draft. This was difficult. This was complicated. This was doing it from home with they never thought they'd have to do things they never thought they'd have to do. It was a really challenging draft to be, you know, your first one in the big seat. And he was able to maneuver and better value than they had before. So you have to give him credit for that. That's That should be something that's exciting for Jets fans because this guy, you know, obviously knew what he was doing, was confident and comfortable doing it and, and executed uh, in terms of, you know, getting picks and, and maneuvering that side of, of the draft. He did a great job. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What about free agency? Let's start with Robbie Anderson. What did you think of that? Did you find it peculiar that the amount of money that Robbie Anderson got fell quite short of what some people were expecting, maybe to the point that the Jets should have tried a little harder to keep him? Yeah. Forgive me. I can't exactly remember what the guaranteed money was, but if I recall correctly, it was $10 million. Mm-hmm. Um, 
popcorn somewhere right in that range. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that should have been a no brainer for the Jets, especially considering if, you know, that, that offer was on the table for them if they had a chance to match because they need, he was their best weapon. That's a reasonable price. And the only other receiver on the roster at that point who was healthy and proven is Jameson Crowder. So the idea that you would go into 2020 and Sam Darnold's third year with a downgraded receiver class over last year's receiver class wasn't great. Seems unacceptable to me. I still don't like it. I still don't think Denzel Mims and Rashard Perriman, um, even though he went to UCF, great school. Um, I, I don't think <laughs> that those guys are guarantees to combine even to be to make the kind of impact that Robbie Anderson made. I mean, he was the most explosive weapon on the offense. So I'm not saying like one of them it can't happen. And I think there's a chance that it does, but it's not guaranteed. And, and there's just as good of a chance that Donald has kind of a downgraded receiver target class this year. So I don't like that part of it. But um, you know, they got a good. They had a good run out of Robbie Anderson. Obviously, they didn't. Um, you know, see. They can say whatever they want about valuing him or whatever. But clearly, they didn't because they didn't pay. And time will tell if that was the right decision or if it wasn't. Um, but I thought it was a little bit sketchy that they didn't give Donald more weapons going into this year. If things break the wrong way, it's going to look really bad. Um, so that that was kind of a puzzling decision to me. But you know, they they did their I'm sure their due diligence on Robbie, and for some reason they they decided they wanted to move on. And we're gonna find out if it, it was the right decision or not. Overall, do you think they did enough when they added Perriman and then Mims in the draft? Do you think that's enough in terms of adding to the wide receiver core, especially considering that, as you said, Robbie Anderson, who was their best receiver, is gone? And now we know that Quincy Nunwa is definitely not going to play in 2020. I, I don't think they did. I really don't think they did enough. You know, Perriman, the second half of last year, was as good as any receiver in football, but that's the only time in his career he's ever proven that. So it's a big gamble to be like, is this guy going to be that level or is he going to be the guy with a total bust for the first 40 plus years of his career? And, and injured by injury. I mean, that's another guy they're relying on to stay healthy, which is, you know, it's, it's a big ask. And and Mims, you know, he played in a conference that isn't known for exactly delivering offensive uh, talent that, that can contribute right away. It, it, there's a reason he fell in the draft. So despite having that immense size and, and tremendous speed. So I, I don't like it, but maybe they're, they're thinking – and we shouldn't forget this, that they're getting a weapon back in Chris Herndon and a guy who was a vertical threat as a rookie. Uh, he had a lot of catches beyond 20 yards for a tight end. Um, it's a risk because, you know, he had a lot of health problems last year and, and some bad luck. There's no guarantee he's going to be back at that level. But I don't think we should forget that um, they're getting him back too, and that is a weapon that, that could be – obviously, Darnold had a lot of chemistry with him and, and – did a nice job together in their rookie year. So that kind of makes it understandable, but I just think that you go into this year, this big, huge year for Sam Darnold, and you maybe give him a worse receiver class than he had last year, that's tough for me to swallow.
What about the offensive line? I know they made a lot of changes. They bring in Van Rotnick guard. They go out and they get George Fant. We talked about Becton. Cam Clark comes in, although I don't think most people expect him to play in 2020. Seems like more of a projection for 2021. But there are new pieces on this offensive line. Connor McGovern, obviously, as well. With all the changes, do you think that the Jets did enough to improve? Or do you think it's a situation where just because they have different pieces doesn't necessarily mean that they're all that much better than the ones that they already had? No, I, I think this isn't like paying them a vast compliment, but the, the line is going, it would be hard to imagine the line being worse than it was last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so bad. And, and they, they didn't add guys. A lot of these guys they added are like solid guys, like McGovern. He's not a superstar, but he's, he's a solid. And and Roden, he was solid. And Stan, he was solid. Um, they didn't have like three solid guys last year. So if in adding three, you know, three guys and, and obviously Beckton, you should have a, a semblance of an offensive line that can block, you know, give Sam Darnold some time and, and clear some space for Le'Veon Bell. They, they have a lot of depth now. You have Alex Lewis coming back. Um, and you have a lot of guys who can, you know, contribute. So, Obviously, um, they wanted to go the depth route over, uh, you know, signing a big name like Conklin, or uh, his name is escaping me because you know, so much has happened since then. But the, the guard from Washington, um, they obviously couldn't get him because the rest of the franchise tagged him. But um, you know, there, there's other guys who are out there, the big names that are escaping my my brain right now, um, with all that's happened since then. So they can't. To, to go for some big names, they went for depth. It works if these guys are the quality depth that Joe Douglas thinks they are. But this is what I come back to. If you if you go back to the end of 2018 and you look at the guys who were blocking for Sam Darnold when he played his best in his rookie year, this was not an impressive group of guys. And Darnold, but they were good enough to like give him what the offensive line couldn't last year, which was like a little bit of time consistently not much but a little and he still was able to like play really well against some pretty good football teams and, and play well enough to make the difference for the Jets to win so Donald's already proven he can do that if they give him any help up front I think he, that this offensive line this year will be better than what we saw at the end of 2018 obviously again not a high bar to clear but that is what Sam Darnold needs, and I think he's going to have enough time to make a difference, to make some of the plays that we saw him capable of and not be dropping back there and, and wondering where the next defender is coming from. Let's talk a little defense. I know the offseason was mostly focused on offense because we knew where they needed to improve. Specifically, they had to get guys that could block better and keep Sam Darnold upright, and they needed to get some playmakers for Sam Darnold. But on the defensive side of the ball, they made some additions. The biggest weak spots were edge rusher and corner, and I want to talk about edge rusher first. First of all, before we get into other moves that they made at the position, were you surprised that Jordan Jenkins came back on a one-year deal for such a relatively low figure? Yeah, I was. I thought you know the Jets would kind of want to lock him up and, and send a message that this is a guy who's done everything right since he's been here uh, and, and shown you know, leadership and played well. He's been obviously their most effective pass rusher over the last two seasons. Um, 
and they didn't. And uh, that tells me a couple of things. Uh, you know, first of all, that Joe Douglas does not want to pay anyone. And, and the Robbie Anderson thing too, does not want to pay anyone a dollar more than he thinks what their value is. And that, that I think it's a double-edged sword. It's a good thing. That's kind of, you want that kind of discipline out of your GM, but there's also times when you kind of got to go above and, and that makes you wonder what's going to happen with this whole Jamal Adams situation. But, um, it also tells you they're not super sold on on Jordan Jenkins as kind of a building block for the defense. And I, I think he's a year away. From, I think he could have a breakout year. And if he gets to the quarterback a lot this year, he could be. They could have missed a chance to maybe get him at a, at a pretty decent price. Because, yeah, you know, he's had 15 sacks in the last two years. When he comes out and has you know, 10 sacks this year, all of a sudden you're like, okay, this guy is a pretty productive edge rusher. So. Um, that, that that whole dynamic was interesting to me. I think Jenkins is a guy that, that you should want to build around. So I, I didn't get that, but I mean, what did you think? I thought that it was a solid move on a one-year deal for that price to bring back Jenkins. I don't think that he's a guy that moves the needle at all as far as edge rusher goes. He's not a stud pass rusher. He's a guy who's solid at the position. But I think to be able to bring him back at that price at least gives you somebody to hold it down until you figure out what to do long term. And if he has a breakout year this year, we saw it with Dante Fowler, then maybe they go ahead and lock him up. But at the very least, you have a capable piece there. The rest of the way, though, Andy, with these edge rushers, you look at Jabari Zaniga, that's a question mark, third round pick. Other than that, there's not a lot there. Brandon Copeland is gone. So what do you think? Did they do enough overall to really improve that position? Because we know it was a big weak spot for them last year. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, like you said, Zaniga out of Florida, he's another guy out of Florida. And he doesn't have to do much to be better than, than the last guy. But uh, So that, that's a plus. No, no pressure for him. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's basically the same as every other offseason with the Jets. It, they um, – they, did, they didn't find the fit at edge rusher. But the good news is the defense kind of showed last year that they can be effective without getting that pressure. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe you see a, a Quinn and Williams step up and, and get to the quarterback more this year. I guess that's one way to positively look at it is, is that there will be more opportunities for him. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think they did enough. But it was a tough spot because this wasn't a wide receiver. This wasn't a – a draft that was loaded with edge rushers. So um, a step right at the very top. So it's kind of a tough spot um, for them to fill that. that, And and they're obviously not going to pay big money to get a guy like Clowney. And nor do I think they should because things are tight enough with the cap. So, yeah, it was a tough spot. But that I think if you have one condition to neglect, that was probably the one. That's going to wrap up part one of our 2020 offseason review with Andy Vasquez covering the New York Jets for NorthJersey.com. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure that you're following Andy at Andy underscore Vasquez on Twitter. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.